Hello, and welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast where a high school philosophy teacher, that's me, and his former student who's currently studying philosophy in college, that's me, discuss a variety of philosophical topics, review famous philosophy quotes, and so, so much more, all towards the purposes of living a good life. Welcome to episode four. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing really great. Thanks for asking. Um, I survived the winter storm. I never lost power or water or anything, so I have absolutely nothing to complain about. How about you? Yeah, it puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? Um, yeah, we, uh, we're, we're revealing here to listeners uh, how far in advance we're, we're recording here. Uh, listeners will probably hear this episode near the end of March, which will be a month after, I guess, what we're um, uh, colloquially calling the snowpocalypse. <laughs> but, uh, but here in Texas and certainly in Houston, we have had some difficulties with all of that related to energy and water. But in my own personal sphere, with myself and, and other family members who live in the state, somehow we have uh, we have come through it well enough. A couple a couple of our children lost power for short periods of time, but all in all, we're okay. And um, so I hope everyone else is okay. And and I don't want to be uh, horribly prophetic or something, but who knows what calamities has befallen us a month from now when people listen to this? <laughs> oh <my laughs> so apocalypse may be a, a, a fond memory of the past. But anyway, anyway, uh, I'm doing fine, and certainly we hope everyone else is doing fine out there. Well, that's uh, that made me a little scared. I didn't even think about that, but that's that's always true. Yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Mercy. Okay. Well, uh, so Andrew, this this last week, I got I got curious about the competition out there. You know, uh, so I so yeah, so I looked up. Uh, I looked up other podcasts that have a similar title as ours that uh, that include the term or the words open door. So are you ready to hear a few of those? I'm ready and I'm excited. Okay, here we go. So so the first category of podcasts with the title that includes open door in it uh, is mostly religious affiliated. Um, so there are many churches that have podcasts that have the title open door. Here's a few for you. Uh, open door fellowship. <laughs> open uh, Church of the Open Door, and then simply Open Door Church. So, uh, so, so when That's you search funny. for Open Door philosophy, you may run into a lot of a lot of churches. That's very surprising. I that's the. I guess it makes sense, but that's not what I've expected at all. I, I was thinking maybe it would be a woodworking podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the overwhelming majority of them are uh, are, are churches. You know, Protestant churches aren't so encumbered with with church titles like uh, like our Catholic brethren are. Um, you know, we don't don't have to call it a Saint this or or Lady that. Right. Um, it's uh, it's in, but it's even easier for non denominationally affiliated churches. You know, I mean, like Methodists and Episcopalians got to work that into their title. But non denominations, you know, it's a free for all. Uh, you know, I think there's a church around the corner for me called the, the Church of at Creek's End. Um, oh wow! <laughs> I'm not sure doctrinally what that uh, what that means, <laughs> but uh, anyway, lot, lots of open doors, and uh, and of course, uh, of course, that makes sense. I suppose when you think about it, that does. I mean, I guess uh, maybe eventually we can uh, see how similar we are to them too, if they're wanting to inspire a 
open door thought process or something. Right. Right. Well, you know, the door is always open. Okay. Uh, so next is, uh, is a podcast called open door policy. Now <laughs> the, the former history teacher in me, uh, you know, thought of, uh, was it Roosevelt? Um, Theodore Roosevelt, Open Door Policy? Anyway, uh, but that's not it at all. It has nothing to do with government. This podcast uh, says it's about three best friends who talk about sports, movies, and whatever. It huh. says that in the title. It's really the whatever that intrigues me about this particular podcast. That's that's interesting. I Like you said, I would have expected uh, that not to be about sports, but some kind of policy position. So that's interesting, but I like I do like the name of that. That's that's pretty pretty catchy. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I have to search now to make sure open door policy. I got to see who that was affiliated with. Yes, it was a foreign affairs used in the late 19th century that would allow for a system of trade in China open to all countries equally. Right. I'm sure it was very equal. <laughs> U.S. Secretary of State Oh John Hay. Right. Was affiliated yeah. with it. Anyway, there you go. Open door policy. Uh, and the last one, which is the one I'm really most excited about, is is a podcast called Open Door Sisterhood. And <laughs> which honest. So this is why I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it uh, for its potential. So honestly, when I first saw that title, I was hoping it was a podcast about convent life. Uh, like, <laughs> That's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 a podcast, literally, uh, just about two sisters who talk about life and stuff. Oh uh, my goodness! It, they might be very famous sisters. I'm not really sure. But you know, if there are any you know nuns out there listening, I think a a, a convent life oriented podcast would actually be really intriguing. I was I was really excited about it when I first uh, heard the title, but. Um, open door sisterhood. So anyway, uh, th- there you all are. You're very welcome for the free advertisement um, <laughs> due to our vast listenership. Uh, but open door, open door podcast. What do you think of sisterhood? I think that's hilarious. Honestly, um, I was watching this YouTube video about these uh, friars the other day, and they were telling, talking about how funny, uh, funny nuns usually are and how quippy they are. So I think that would be a hilarious podcast, honestly. Oh, I think it'd be a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone needs to do that. Yeah. <laughs> get our, get our, uh, our nun friends. <laughs> I actually don't know any nuns and, and, um, I'm Catholic too. So that's, uh, I guess kind of surprising, but maybe I'll be on the lookout now. So, so that makes me think of a story. A couple of years ago, my brother and I were cl- climbing Mount Bierstadt in, uh, in Colorado. It's mm. a 14,000 foot mountain. And when we got to the top, there were two nuns. No way. Uh, now there's like a hundred people up there, right? Like it was, it's a very popular mountain and it was Labor Day weekend, but there were two nuns up there. Uh, and I mean like they had their habits on and everything and hiking boots, which was great. <laughs> and so like on the way back down, they, they, they had stopped over to take a breather. And I, uh, I, I wanted to talk with them. I'm like, what are you guys doing on this mountain? And, uh, and they say it's, it's part of their ministry. They, they get together with some younger students are in college and uh, and they go and do these outdoorsy type activities with them in Colorado and uh, and that was part of their ministry and I just thought that was that was really cool and and these two nuns who were older than I were uh, were, were certainly putting me to shame on the mountain uh, they were they were out hiking me anyway I think the two of them I think they should have a, a podcast that's really funny that's that seems like a a very nun 
non-tastic thing. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's just not what you expect to see. Uh, You know, everyone's out there with their backpacks on and their hiking poles and, and all that stuff. And, and there's two nuns, like, like the thing that was, was striking was that they were in their habits. Right. If that is in fact what nuns, nuns call their garb. Yeah. And hiking boots. And, and like, instead of, you know, the aluminum hiking poles or whatever, lightweight hiking pole. Like they had these sturdy wooden staffs yeah. that they were that they were using to hike with, which was also oh kind of cool, you know. <laughs> but they gave me a nice little pamphlet, actually. I had pamphlets with them, a, a book of a book of prayers that one of their sisters oh. had written and it was it was very touching. That's nice. That sounds yeah. good. Well yeah. is that is that uh I guess we can move into the book stack and is is that one of your books for the week this uh sister's pamphlet <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not uh but uh but maybe I should include it um so so for me there's not a lot that has changed uh, I'm still reading Seneca but although I'm a ha- about halfway through that now again I'm reading that with my with my morning breakfast so it's just two or three pages a day I'm about halfway through now this uh this biography on Emerson Ralph Waldo Emerson a Mind on Fire by Robert D. Richardson. Uh, it is an enormous book. There's no other way to put it. It's it's uncomfortable to read because it is so large. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this thing. Uh, it's like 650 pages, and it's probably two inches thick. I mean, it's just huge. So anyway, I'm, I'm but I am enjoying it. But the new one is a book that will be very outside of the the range of what I've been talking about. And that's a book called Shangzi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It is a book that was written in the fourth century BC and, uh, and is a, it is a Taoist text. I'm getting ready to teach the Tao Te Ching in my course. And I've always heard of, of Zhangzi and I wanted to read it as a companion piece. So, uh, so I'm about halfway through that. So that's, that's my new reads this episode anyway how about you andrew um i'm i don't think i have as as much uh interesting as that that sounds like a really interesting list especially the last book but reading um aristotle's poetics it's a book on greek tragedy basically he's he's going through saying what makes a good tragedy like how tragedy is good for the state how it improves the moral character of people or how it can um the second book that i'm reading is plato's gorgias it's a book about oratory, how we should balance pleasure and pain. What is the purpose of, I guess, a little bit of what is the purpose of philosophy too. And then in this past week, one of my friends who came back to school, he returned my copy of Meditations to me. Um, so I've been uh, starting to get back through that again. So those are my few books. They're kind of tiny, but uh, enjoyable. So is that uh, Meditations by Descartes, or is that Meditations of Marcus Aurelius? Good question. And I guess in philosophy, there's a lot of meditations. <laughs> there are. <laughs> it is uh, the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Ah, ah excellent. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, you know, this week I began uh, categorizing my favorite quotes from Marcus Aurelius on a, on a Google <laughs> spreadsheet. <laughs> yes, this is my pastime. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm through book nine now, so oh goodness, you're almost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been really hard at it. I'm sure you're reading probably the what is this? The Modern the Library. Hayes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Same exact one. Yes, yeah, I like that copy a lot. 
Well, it sounds like you're reading some good stuff. I, uh, I, I, the reason I mentioned Descartes is because for this week's episode, I did read Meditation 1 and 2 from nice. Descartes. Uh, just to review that, get it back in my head. So for today's episode, we will be covering Descartes and his meditations and his famous line, I think, therefore I am. But before we get into that, and before we get into his background, from our last episode to right now, we're skipping over, you know, a little bit more than 1500 years of philosophy. So Mr. Parsons, do you want to give a little bit of background to what's been going on and a little intro to Descartes' life? Yeah, this will be pretty brief, but I think it's important stuff. Yeah, so we've been covering a lot of classical Greases these last two episodes, and now we're going to leap into uh, the modern era. Uh, now, when I when I say modern, modern begins about the 17th century, and we can we can have some fun debates as to whether or not we're still in the modern era or in post postmodernism. But nonetheless, uh, what's been going on in the last uh, roughly 1500 to 1900 years between Aristotle and Descartes? Uh, we have what's called the the era of Hellenism, which is sort of, which is the uh, the transition, if you will, from Alexander the Great and classical Greece to the Roman Empire. You have a couple of meaningful schools that develop during that time: uh, the Epicureans, uh, the Stoics, and the Cynics, which are all very influential in Roman uh, society. And then once the Roman Empire falls, uh, we we enter the the medieval period. Uh, so there's a lot of go- there's a lot going on in in medieval philosophy. Uh, it's just that it's all very religiously uh, associated, and certainly we will spend some time on all of that. Probably the most significant uh, philosopher to come out of that period would be Thomas Aquinas and his and his attempt to harmonize Christian theology with Aristotelian philosophy and rationalism. But that's essentially what's been going on up to the point where we get to Descartes. So Descartes. Uh, is a 17th century French philosopher. Uh, to give you some sort of perspective, he dies just eight years after Galileo and, uh, and about 20 years before Thomas Hobbes. Uh, he is considered the father of modern philosophy uh, and has one of the most, if not most, well-known quotes in philosophical history, which you've already mentioned. So that's, uh, that's a very brief introduction on him. The series arc we're currently on is is introducing fundamental ideas of philosophy so that we kind of have a common language to speak in, if you will. So to get us going on Descartes, Andrew, why are we talking about Descartes today? Like, why has he made the show, if you will, for, for when it comes to fundamental ideas of philosophy? That's a really great question. I think Descartes is really important in the history of philosophy. I took um, a history of philosophy Two class, I guess there's two parts to it. And he was the very first person that we covered in that kind of second part of the course because he kind of kicks off this move from the Aristotelian impacts of the medieval era. But he's kicking off from that and he's kind of introducing a little bit of skepticism into um, that Aristotelian thought. He's questioning God, why things are. Not necessarily that he's an atheist, by no means he's an atheist, but he's wanting to prove God's existence in, in a few other ways than has pr- traditionally been been there. And then I think, of course, you know, there's been other philosophers who have been skeptical of God or raised kind of objections and then answered those objections to God's existence in the medieval era. 
But I feel like Descartes is the beginning of this skepticism time period that we're entering into. He's he's giving the birthplace or uh, the beginning of these philosophers who we'll see to come, who introduced an emphasis on empiricism uh, in the world around us. It's very important. He's going to be influencing Thomas Hobbes, Locke, or at least giving them a groundboard of, of, of some points of contention in his work. So yes, uh, Mr. Parsons, what do you do? You want to start off with uh, uh, the kind of the beginning of meditations where Descartes is at? Like, uh, why is he writing? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the reasons he's considered the father of modern philosophy is, is like you said, what he throws out in his his writings is if you're a philosopher, you're either arguing for it or arguing against it, you know, for the next couple hundred years. His work is that influential, his radical doubt that he uh, that he puts out here and really is kind of the, the beginnings of the Enlightenment movement uh, as well. But in that first meditation, so, so I, I guess we should back up. There, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of works that Descartes known for. So he's known for a discourse on method, which is where he actually says, I think therefore I am probably more popular is his, uh, is just simply what's referred to as meditations, um, on first philosophy. And I, I think one of the, another reason that Descartes is so well known other than obviously the shift into modernism and skepticism that he brings about is his approachability. Uh, I was just, I was just rereading meditations this week for this episode and just kind of struck at how accessible the writing is. So something important to also know about Descartes is his emphasis on radical doubt. He, a lot of philosophers before him were very adamant, like like kind of we talked about with Aristotle, that the truth could be acquired through your senses and the impressions that those senses made. And Descartes really was very skeptical of that. Like we'll see in a few minutes, he, he thought that, rightfully so, I believe, that your senses are often wrong and unreliable. And so if you have a lot of your truth that you've derived from those senses that can be unreliable at times, how can you really know what's true from false? So he's introducing a lot of this radical doubt. I believe he mentions this in his meditations, but how I was introduced to him from a friend is that Descartes wanted to reassess his thoughts. This is the purpose of meditations. He wanted to reassess all the truths in his life that he'd gathered when he was a kid throughout this entire time till till he began writing, I guess. And he wanted to reassess all those things by starting from the bottom up. I believe he he uses an analogy that's like he wants to look at all the apples and he wants to remove all the apples from the basket or something and then look at each one individually and and see if all of them are ripe or or something. I don't know if that's the exact analogy or what, uh, but that's what's coming to mind. So he wants to be really careful and reestablish all of these truths that he can actually derive to being true, like literally everything. So he makes sure that he doesn't have any false beliefs. Yeah, and this is a good idea. I think a lot of people should probably subject their beliefs uh, to this type of scrutiny from time to time. Uh, you know, we, 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 can't, we can't always do it uh, because we'll just live in skeptical, radical doubt all of our lives and, and never make it out of our houses. But it's, it's a very good idea to do 
with your beliefs from time to time, I think. And, and, you know, to your analogy, the apples, you know, I always think about like a building, um, like his beliefs were these, this building that has been built over his life. And he basically just takes a wrecking ball to it and, and just knocks all the walls down, clears the rubble from the foundation. And then even looks at the foundation and says, is this something uh, that, that I can, that I can put my trust in that is truth. And then he even starts jackhammering at the, uh, at the foundation, you know? Yeah. And actually at the end of the, uh, you, you talked about, uh, empiricism in our senses, uh, at the end of meditations, the first meditation, he says, I shall imagine myself as if I had no hands, no eyes, no flesh, no blood, no senses at all, but as if my belief in all these things were false. So there's your radical doubt, right? It's, I guess we can kind of dive into the first meditation real quick. Yeah, let's do it. He goes kind of through this this train, like like we were kind of alluding to of of what certain. This is a. I think he starts off this, or it's in his discourse on method. I forget which one, but he's really interested in knowledge, uh, like a lot of these modern philosophers. Like, what is knowledge? He wants to de- derive what knowledge actually is, and I think he establishes knowledge as something like true belief, so truth plus perfect justification. Perfect justification means you can have no doubt, no doubt at all behind that. So it's truth plus no doubt uh, for your beliefs. So he's starting at that point and he's like, uh, what do I actually know on the basis of what is true and what I have no doubt on? And he he kind of goes through um, a few things. I believe he starts off with his senses and then he, he very much boils that down. And Mr. Parsons, I don't know, in a second, you can give that example of the, the evil being or evildoer at the end of the first meditation. But eventually he can, he boils it down to at the first meditation, like you said, that he doesn't even know if he exists. He's, he's literally in skepticism of everything. And it's a kind of very dark place in the meditations. Yeah. Yeah. Before the, you know, before we get to what sometimes is referred to as the evil demon, you know, another passage I really like there at the beginning of the first meditations, he's talking about the same thing, but it's uh, whether or not he's dreaming. And he paints this picture, you know, he says, for example, the fact that I am here sitting by the fire, wearing a dressing gown, holding this page in my hand and other things like that. And I just, uh, you know, am I really undressed and asleep in my bed? And I just like that picture of him sitting next to the fire uh, in his dressing gown, holding his paper um, and wondering if any of this is really real. Uh, so that's the kind of uh, radical skepticism we're talking about. So what you alluded to with the with the evil demon, and hopefully I'm recounting this accurately, is you know he's doubting whether or not even his very thought about whether or not he's doubting is is the product of his own making. He imagines, you know, what if there what if my thought my existence everything that i think that i believe this fireplace that's here this page i'm holding in my hand is actually being given to me by a demon a demon is manipulating uh, my reality who knows what my reality actually is but but he's like but this is the reality this demon could potentially be creating for me and of course this is where he he begins working on that idea of it like of of i think therefore i am you know at least at least he is a. If a demon is manipulating his thoughts, at least he is aware that a demon is potentially manipulating his thoughts. Therefore, he's at least thinking, and that thinking thing 
uh, is he himself. That makes sense. Something kind of important to note, going back to that knowledge and doubt thing that we established earlier, like he's trying to build up this, uh, these pieces of knowledge in his life that he actually has. And you, you kind of alluded to this, Mr. Parsons. It's very, well, I don't know if it's very improbable that an evil deceiver is, <laughs> is out there. Descartes doesn't really care though, if it's even, even if it's a sliver of a 1% chance, he, it's still probable. This still could be happening. He, he still could have some reason to doubt. Like I said, could, um, not necessarily that one is, but could be influencing literally every single snippet of information that you have. He's Descartes taking this up at one step from this dream argument because in dreams things can still make sense. Like I think he he mentioned science, like geometry, math, two plus two equals four uh, in dreams most of the time. But he says like in dreams you can still there's still things that make sense. There's still composite things. That's what he calls it. Um, so so that's something that still exists in dreams. But this evil deceiver who's omnipotent, all-powerful, and all all there, I guess. He could influence even things like 2 plus 2 equaling 4, the smallest, even those little component things. So literally could be influencing anything in life. So Descartes really doesn't know anything, and he has reason to doubt everything. So he has no foundation at all for his knowledge. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but... No, it does. You know, and, and to the mathematics por- uh, portion that you just spoke of, in, in that first meditation, Descartes says, you know, of the things that we can know, mathematics is is surely one of them. I think he mentions geometry he specifically. He does. But yeah, he, ta- he talks about how mathematics contains something that is that is certainly beyond doubt. But But the demon could actually be the one who's creating this thing that we think is beyond doubt called mathematics, that two plus two equals four. Uh, the reality could be that two plus two equals seven, uh, but we wouldn't know any different because the demon is creating that. And even, even our belief that mathematics is beyond influence, uh, that two plus two always equals four, the, the demon could even still be manipulating that. He gives this long passage about how Everything he he sees and experiences false, uh, but then he he asks himself this one question. But how do I know there is not something else? Is there not some god? And he goes on and on, and then he asks this question. But why would I think that since I myself could be the author of these thoughts? Am I not at least something? But I have already denied that I have any senses in my body. Still, I hesitate. For what ho- follows from this? So right here, he's establishing it. And eventually he says, I am, I exist. And he thinks that is true. Right. And so like, here's a, here's a good point to, uh, to stop and, and say some of the, some of the long-term importance of Descartes. One is, is what you just laid out for us, which is his deductive methodology. If you read, and this is why he's considered one of the father of modern philosophy and certainly leads into the Enlightenment project is this way that we deduce knowledge. It's the deductive method. It becomes the scientific method. Uh, I mean, there's a reason I mentioned Galileo and and that Descartes were contemporaries of each other. It was this new way of approaching 
truth, how we can arrive at truth. And that's through a deductive process. And so if you read uh, the meditations, I mean, it's really just a beautifully laid out deductive method of arriving at this conclusion, which is, I think I exist. And then the other thing I want to mention, kind of back to the the evil demon and how I think this is still in many ways with us today. In my class, I constantly hear from students this phrase or some similar phrasing. Uh, how do we know that all of this just isn't a simulation? <laughs> and, you know, we're calling it a simulation because we've seen movies like you know, The Matrix or, uh, or, you know, artificial intelligence is becoming so advanced nowadays. You know, that's the terminology we speak in. But, you know, when we call it simulation these days, we're really just saying the same thing as Descartes. Uh, D- Descartes' you know, language to live in at that time was, was, was demons. And so I think when students today say, you know, how do we know this isn't just a simulation? There's the real difficulty with, with what Descartes proposes is that his skepticism is so radical that that's a very hard question to answer. And philosophers for centuries after Descartes like it almost like Hume and Kant and some of those, uh, it almost becomes their project to try to overcome this problem of radical skepticism. So, so I think those are some of the, the things that, you know, why Descartes is still so, so with us today, if you will. I think you're, you're right. Um, I remember I, I was thinking about that when I was taking your class too. And I'm sure a lot of people have thought about something similar. Yeah. Like this question hasn't just been around. And I think that this, fascination that we don't, you know, the world around us um, is is not true or is not how we're actually experiencing it. It says something about how we are as humans. We desire to, um, like Aristotle said, uh, 1500 years from where we are at this point, humans desire to know. And I think it shows us our, our gravitation towards truth um, and, and kind of the purpose of philosophy even if we, even if we experience the world and, and live it, um, it shows the the natural inclination to try to figure out. And, and it shows our gravitation towards deducing what's true or false, and, and actually trying to make an attempt to know it. Well, I mean, that's an important part of living is 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 knowing what or, or hoping that you know what the truth is. Uh, that that's a very practical thing to living. Um, and I think you know Descartes emphasis on radical skepticism uh, it advances that 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 concern that argument to to a, to a necessary point you can't live in skepticism your entire life obviously no, no one no one actually doubts whether or not other people really exist I don't think but 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 it's an important point to to raise because it's it's that that style of skepticism, is important when you're trying to deduce what truth is. Like you really do have to clear the rubble, and uh, and that's what Descartes did. It, it might have been, I don't know, want to say it was ultimately damaging. I don't think it was, but it is certainly something that philosophers have to grapple with for the next couple hundred years. I agree. Yeah. So certainly Descartes is is well known for probably. I'm going to say it's the most well-known quote in all of philosophy. There are probably more important quotes, but as far as just general knowledge of, of quotes that people have, this is a big yeah. one. Uh, everyone knows the quote, I think, therefore I am. And so since Descartes is so well-known for it, I thought we would spend a little bit of time talking about that specific quote 
and, uh, and, and exactly what it means. Right. So when we're thinking about where we left off last uh, with the evildoer, he's established, Descartes has established that he knows only one possible thing. At this point in meditations, uh, he knows just one thing, which is that he exists even with this possibility of this evil deceiver. Um, and he's creating this as a foundational belief. So I think, therefore, I am. I guess idea behind that is because I have the ability to think about this evil deceiver, to question my uh, existence, to question these truths, I have the, I exist because my, I just exist, I guess, because of that. Uh, because there's something doing the thinking rather than nothing, I guess. There's a few limitations to this idea, of course. Uh, the first is, is it's innately a personal idea. I'm doing the thinking or Descartes doing the thinking, I guess. Um, he's not proving that anyone else around him exists. So by me saying, I think, therefore I am, the I is important. I'm not proving that Mr. Parsons is existing. He could be a figment of my imagination. The listeners who uh, are listening, I guess, I don't know if you exist. You could exist, <laughs> but I can't really prove that with idea. Something else that's kind of important, uh, it's a present tense word. I can't trust my memories yet in Descartes. I think, therefore, I exist. It's not I thought, therefore, I existed. Um, something else, yeah, I guess that's those are the two big limitations that I see at this point that he does mention, I believe, or alludes to or something you know, he, he was after at least one thing that he could know that was true, right? And, uh, and, and he concludes that, if nothing more, he knows that he exists because he is thinking about the fact that he exists. You're right. It, it doesn't allude to, to any other persons. Uh, it has nothing to do with his memory, who he is as a human being, his identity, any of those types of things. So something also important to note is we're doing kind of an intensive introduction to uh, mainly the first two meditations, I guess, in this episode, but something to elude maybe for the future is uh, his point of this meditation, apart from deriving knowledge, is, is to try to derive a proof for the existence of God, which he eventually comes to. And one of the last meditations, I think, is it five? I mean, he introduces it as soon as three, uh, meditation three. Yeah, three is the first he, he introduces it. But he, he certainly... That's that's kind of where this meditation is going onto a point of this. I forget this if this is Descartes, but something kind of a fun fact about meditations is this was a almost a textbook for students, or Descartes kind of intended it to be a textbook for for science students uh, for them to think about how they would set up their scientific ways of thinking. Um, I forget if Descartes was the one who was having this problem, but I think he was having trouble finding a job in academia, and he was kind of writing this to get his foot in the door and be a guide for for students to be very critical about their their explorations into science. So that's just a fun fact, but oh, that is I I, I didn't know that I like that. That kind of makes a lot of sense, and and again, I kind of mentioned it earlier. You know, one of one of the reasons that this is such uh, he's such an influential philosopher, and how it does lead into the entire like Enlightenment project and scientific revolution and all this sort of stuff was his deductive method. But yeah, I mean, that's another reason Descartes is so well regarded is because of that influence, and it makes sense if it were a textbook. 
All right, Andrew. Now, look, I know we say this podcast is supposed to help you live a better life. And arguments like, do I exist, seems exactly like the type of philosophical nonsense uh, that we would like to try to avoid. So so practically speaking, I suppose, uh, what are uh, why are these concerns of Descartes uh, important to living a good life? It's a really good question. I think when I first encountered this, I was looking at it as some philosophical nonsense, like, is the red that I see the same as everyone else's? But <laughs> Descartes' argument is important when we're thinking about truth in our own lives. Like you kind of alluded to earlier, I don't think we spend as much time as we should really thinking about our knowledge, like what we believe, and then asking ourselves, why do we believe this is true? Taking a moment or a few years or an entire lifetime to take a step back on the foundations of our thinking, our ways of thinking, lead us to determine what is actually true and false. And yeah, maybe that's not important in some sense, but in certain principles and ways of thinking about certain things and ethics and such, this is really important, like um, foundational beliefs on what's good and bad, what's right and wrong. If we're always living by this paradigm that's engraved in us, um, it might not always be what's right and what's good. Um, And it's kind of making me have a flashback to Socrates right now, uh, where his entire life, he was trying to establish what was good and bad for him to live the best life that he could. And it's not just for Socrates. It's not just for Descartes. It's for everyone. If we were raised in a certain style uh, of thinking, and that's not the best way to live, we should not try to live that way of life our entire lives. We can challenge it and start our journey into living the best life that we can. And Descartes certainly is starting that engine up for us. Well, I think that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful way of expressing all that. I have nothing to add. Yeah. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, Socrates uh, just this morning. I was, I was reading that Emerson a biography and here, here's a quote from Emerson from from an address he was giving to uh, to a local school he says what is the end of a human life it is not believe me the chief end of man that he should make a fortune and beget children whose end is likewise to make a fortune but it is in a few words that he should explore himself oh wow that's awesome <laughs> So it is with Descartes, like you said, uh, important that from time to time we take a good look at ourself and the life that we are living. And so whether, you know, that idea comes from Descartes, whether it comes from Socrates with the unexamined life is not worth living uh, or whether it not whether it comes uh, from Emerson talking about that, you know, a a man, a person should explore themselves. uh, It all it all leads towards this this end goal of living a good life. And speaking of quotes, I think this is probably a good time to segue over to the quote corner. All right, folks, here we are. Welcome to the quote corner, a portion of our podcast where we take uh, philosophical quotes and subject them to our scrutiny and then rate them on a scale of one to five stars. So this week was my week to select a quote Listeners, if you have a quote that you would like for us to uh, to review, uh, please write in and uh, and let us know. We'll be happy to pulverize it 
and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and just give it a ruthless, uh, ruthless rating on a scale of one to five stars. But here's what I've selected for this week. This is from uh, uh, Albert Camus' essay, The Myth of Sisyphus. So he says this, rising, streetcar, four hours in the office or the factory, mill, streetcar, four hours of work, mill, sleep. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, according to the same rhythm, this path is easily followed most of the time. But one day, the why arises, and everything begins in that weariness tinged with amazement. So there is the quote. Andrew, let's have your thoughts. This is, a, this is like a mind-blowing kind of quote, I think, uh, when, when you read it. I, <laughs> it kind of makes me go a little speechless, I guess, <laughs> but I feel like that's a lot with Camus. I guess the, the two things that I'm thinking about is first, like, I think there's periods in, in life where this, this kind of arises where you step off the, the automated track of life and you're, you're kind of like, wow, um, I'm actually living right now. Uh, I'm not living my life on autopilot, if that makes any, any sense at all. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then there's another kind of sense to me where I'm like, if I read this quote and I've never experienced something where I've, I've really taken a step back, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a cool quote. But I, I don't think I would feel or feel as, as close to the quote, I guess, as, as I'm feeling now. Kind of like I said, it feels, this quote reminds me of honestly, a lot in, in high school and in college, I guess just an everyday part of my life where I just was living. I mean, I still feel like I do most of the time, but I live life on autopilot so much. Uh, and I don't take a step back to, to look at how awesome the world is around me. Uh, like you kind of mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, this past week has been uh, a snowpocalypse. Is that, is that what yeah. you said? <laughs> yeah. And there's like these moments in, in life, I guess now, especially with COVID where we like our ways of thinking, uh, we're just completely unrailed and we, we, we saw a lot what we take for granted. And I don't think that's necessarily like what Camus was intending, but I think it's in these parts of our lives and we're seeing like when we experience a natural disaster or pandemic or something where we have to change our, our lives, uh, where we see like, how often we're living our life on autopilot, not really appreciative. And, and we are feeling this amazement, a tinge of amazement that, that accompanies that kind of wonder. What do you think about it? Well, I love Camus and I probably should have list, listed him as one of my philosophical role models. His thinking is, is wonderful, but his writing, oh my goodness, uh, I could quote Camus to you all day. His writing is just so, uh, so beautiful. And this, this uh, particular observation, I think, resonates with me because I, I think it probably resonates with most people. I don't know when we first kind of have this, th- this first glimpse of, of routine in life. But for me, I mean, I can't remember the, the specific moment, but I was, I was somewhere in my teens, uh, somewhere between probably seventh grade and, and 10th grade or whatever. And it just kind of dawned on me one day as I just do the same thing over and over and over again. I get up, I go to school, I come home, I do my homework, I go to bed, maybe watch some TV, rinse and repeat. And this is what, uh, this is what Camus is, 
is saying here, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he just rolls it all out. And one day we wake up, we're like, man, what's the point of all this? <laughs> right? Like, like, what am I doing? What is any of us doing? And, and, and Camus is saying like, this is what awakens us to the absurd, uh, which was his big philosophical project, absurdity. But all of us feel this way. And, and again, I think this is one of the reasons philosophy is important is it maybe can help us try to answer this question of like, you know, when we do awaken with this weariness tinged with amazement that we're here, well, since we are here, you know, what should we do about it? Uh, you know, I, I always think of, of, of like the most typical question I get from, from students is like, you know, what's the meaning of life, you know? Well, it's not really like, what's the meaning of life? It's that, that we have life. And so the fact that we do have life, well, what should we do with it? And, and this is why, this is what I think this, this quote alludes to is, is what is, what is that? Why? I think you explained how I feel better than I did myself. So uh, I don't have too much more to say. So I'm going to give this a, um, I'm going to give it a 4.4. Well, I was uh, I was going to give it almost the exact same thing. I'm giving this quote a four point five. Uh, it, it, yeah, it just expresses so uh, so well. I think what so many people think. So so there you go. And it's really kind of beautifully written too, like you were saying, uh, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, some philosophers have a knack for uh, for beautiful writing, and others, others are others do not. <laughs> <laughs> others do not. Yes. Now, of course, Camus was was a novelist as well. So uh, this is one of his nonfiction pieces, but certainly uh, and a Nobel winner for literature. Uh, so, you know, the, the guy knew how to write a good sentence. Yeah, this was, uh, I think, one of the first real philosophical essays that I read in 11th grade or something. It was a, it was a fun time. I, I can remember that. <laughs> yeah, Camus is usually introduced to, to students in, around the 11th grade. Uh, usually, the, the, usually the strangers, kind of the book that they read. You know, if if they are given the myth of Sisyphus, it's usually the last uh, three or four pages of the essay where he talks about the myth specifically. A lot of people don't know the the, the essay itself is about 125 pages. Yeah, I was shocked when I saw it uh, when I bought that book the first time. I was like, this is not what I remember at all. Yeah, and there's so much good stuff in there. Uh, he talks about you know Kierkegaard and. Oh gosh, who else? He talks about a number of philosophers leading up to uh, his particular time in history and engages with their ideas and how that works in conjunction with his theories of absurdism and 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 his beliefs in God and all of that stuff. So it's a really rich essay. Uh, there's a whole lot more to it than than just the idea of Sisyphus rolling that rock up the hill over and over. Uh, although that is a really profound uh, portion of the essay as well. Maybe that can be a, a future episode. Oh man, I'd be all over that. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, all right, everybody, uh, that's going to do it for this particular episode. Uh, we'd love it if you would leave a positive review and, and push that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so you know when new episodes drop. And please uh, help your very wayward friends who are lost in the dark wood of error by passing along uh, this philosophy podcast to them. We'd love to hear from you, too. If you'd like to tell us what you think of the show, have a question you would like to discuss or a philosophy quote 
you'd like us to rate uh, or destroy, uh, please email us at opendoorphilosophy at gmail.com. You can follow all the philosophy on Twitter at opendoorphil and on Instagram at opendoorphilosophy and our website opendoorphilosophy.com where you can find many things about the show, including our book stack list we mentioned near the beginning of the episode, as well as other tidbits. Thank you so much for listening again. We'll see you next time. And remember, when your life seems in need of some philosophy, the door is always open.